Okay, um, so this morning's topic is going to be, as you can see on the screen, what is a believer's responsibility to the government? Um, this topic came up uh, at a men's study, and although the question was specifically raised in regards to paying taxes, we'll be looking at uh, how we're expected to submit to the government in a broader sense. Is that okay there, Andrew? Um, so our main passage, like I said, is Romans 13, 1 to 7. Uh, however, we'll also be looking at a couple other passages as it's a topical study um, versus a exegesis this morning. So stand with me as we read again Romans 13, 1 to 7. I'll give you each a moment to find that. Let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. You may be seated. I'll just pray one more time here. Father God, um, thank you for this opportunity. Um, I know that uh, the congregants here... um, the, your word is, is uh, highly important to them as it is for me um, and therefore I've spent a significant amount of time um, trying to search out uh, your principles um, in regards to this topic um, and I pray that you would just let me step aside and let your message um, come through in your name. So, uh, if you've been a believer for a while, you've likely heard this principle before. Um, It's clear that we're supposed to submit to government. The very first verse actually even repeats it. Um, It says it twice. Which brings us to our first question. I'm going to be going through some questions here. you know, questions that I feel would come up potentially in dialogue. So the first question would be, why should we submit? Let's dig a little deeper. God has sovereignly established our government. We can see that in verse 1. It's even repeated. This truth is foundational on how we operate in regards to our government. It changes our attitude towards it because... We realize, regardless how corrupt or unrighteous a government may seem, God still has his hand in it. 
after Christ was crucified, it probably seemed to the disciples that all was lost. So much so that most of them went back to doing whatever they were doing before Christ had called them. But they, met, they missed the point. God had a much greater purpose in mind, and in part, he used the government at the time to accomplish the purpose. I'm sure you all remember the story. As with many things, it comes down to trusting God and at his word. Um, let's look at verse 2, and the verses aren't up there, so I'll just go, like Dave said, old school. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. So when we choose not to submit to the government, regardless, again, of how corrupt we may think they are, or, or evil they might be, or unrighteous, we're actually choosing to rebel against God because he is the one that instituted the government. Um, so submission to the government is actually one way that we can show submission to God. The second obvious reason why we should su submit is simply that it's commanded of us. Therefore, if we choose not to submit to God, we're actually telling God we don't trust him. So the answer to why is quite simple. It's our first lesson. God has sovereignly established our government. I'm sure some of you, I mean, that's fairly straightforward, um, but I'm sure some of you are likely thinking, uh, as I did, are we excused from submission if our government is unrighteous? Our government today seems to support some issues, as we all know, that disobey God. Um, in fact, they have no regard for uh, God. They, they, they're out to serve, seemingly out to serve another power. Things like abortion, same-sex marriage, euthanasia, um, those things weigh heavy on us as Christians. Um, and they bring in questions like, are we excused from submission if God, if our, to the government if the government is unrighteous? So where does that leave us? What's the answer? Let's turn to Mark. Actually, I'll put it up here. Mark 12, 13 to 17. You can turn there also if you like. Later, they sent some Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance to the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring, them a bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. A um, little bit of background. We see the Pharisees and the Herodians here. Um, generally speaking, those are two groups of people that don't uh, hang out together. The Pharisees are a religious group. We all have heard many stories about them. They're legalistic. They like to follow the rules. They like to add to the rules. Uh, and they think that they're very righteous. And we have the Herodians who were actually more of a political group. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some people in here that are a member of the U UCP party. So that would be more like the Herodians. So there's no real reason that they would be together um, because one is a governmental uh, political party, if you will, and one is a religious party. Um, but in this case, 
they have a united purpose, and that's why they're together. And we can see that in the first verse. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to catch him at his words. Which is probably a clue, besides the fact that he's omniscient, to Christ uh, as to why they asked this question. He thought, okay, these two groups here are here together. There must be more to the story. Um, they're trying to trap me, which, which gives more credibility to his answer. Christ knew the reasons that the Jews were asking him if they ought to pay Caesar's tax. The Jews believed that the Roman government was oppressive, um, much like our government today. They have no concern for our God. The government then had no concern for the Jews, the God of the Jews. Christ also knew, uh, in the back of his mind, I'm sure it was there, the barbaric way that he would eventually die at the hands of the Romans. Um, crucifixion, whipping, uh, you know, 49 lashes, those were very cruel. Uh, even um, the, the way that he had to carry the cross, etc. Those, those were cruel ways and barbaric ways um, that Christ would have to die. And yet, he still told the Jews to give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So, Christ actually draws a bit of a parallel here. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Pay your taxes just like you pay your tithe. And I think that the given... Um, there is one more verse here that's not up on the board, but it just says, uh, and they were amazed at him. The end part of 17 says the Jews were amazed at him. So clearly the message was, was uh, obvious to the Jews. It's probably not the answer that they were expecting. As we can see, they were hoping to trap him. Um, if he sided with the Jews and said, you don't have to pay, the Herodians would have gone back to the government at the time and said, we got to uh, lynch this guy. If he said... Um, that you have to pay your taxes, then the Pharisees would have said, well, um, what about the fact that, that uh, actually, I'll give you a little background information. There's probably a reason that um, Christ asked for a coin. So Caesar, my understanding is that Caesar is uh, a word for, like prime minister or president. So um, whose inscription on the, on the denarius, which is the coin that Christ was looking at, it actually says um, something to the effect of Augustus Caesar, who is the son of God. I, I don't know the exact translation, but it's something to that effect. And so in Christ saying this, the, the trap that was set by the Pharisees was that um, Christ was acknowledging that Caesar was actually the son of God, which, as we all know, isn't actually true. So... Uh, that's why we can see that this is a trap. And yet Christ's answer leaves them amazed and, and doesn't give them an avenue at, as to which that they can, at this point anyway, that they can throw them into prison. Um, they believed that they were, the Jews believed that they were only under the authority of God. So Christ makes it very clear uh, through the parallel even that he's drawn, that they are subject to the Roman government. Which brings us to lesson two. As believers, we are subject to the governing authorities. And this, again, is regardless of how we think they govern. Uh, like I said, the Romans were oppressive, they were cruel, they were barbaric. 
Um, there's many examples in scripture uh, of, of lashing and, and other uh, forms of punishment like that. And we may not be persecuted in the same way today uh, as a believer. However, it's not hard to find faults in our government, like I mentioned before. Uh, issues like abortion, same-sex marriage, euthanasia. They could be justifications for us to say, well, my tax money is going to these things, therefore I'm not going to pay. And Christ could have said the same thing, but he didn't. Um, so the Jews weren't off the hook, neither are we. We must also keep in mind that although there are a significant number of negatives, um, as I've listed, uh, there are also some many things that we do actually benefit from uh, from our tax dollars. Um, we have security. If somebody is breaking into your house, you pick up the phone, and within a few minutes, we have somebody that is there to provide security. Um, we have health care. We're sick. It uh, doesn't matter how, how minor or how major, there is health care for us. Um, we have roads. I mean, we all got here somehow this morning, um, so our, our taxes go to that. Our taxes go to maintaining and clearing them. Um, we have fire protection. Uh, we see our neighbor's house on fire, and we can phone, and hopefully within a few minutes, uh, there's um, some individuals there to put that out and deal with that for us. Uh, also, our justice system. So there are some negatives. However, we do, in this country, have a lot of positives. So the next question then, what if the government goes one step further and requires us to disobey God? What, what do we do? Which do we submit to? Do we submit to the government or do we submit to God? There's a story in Acts chapter 5 that I'd like to look at. You're welcome to turn there if you like. Um, the story starts in verse 17. Sorry. Acts chapter 5 verse 17 to 29. I'll put the latter part um, on the screen here in a sec. So... The context of the story is that Peter and the other apostles, um, due to jealousy of the Sadducees, had been arrested and they'd been put in prison. They'd been healing. This is, as you know, in the beginning of Acts, it's the beginning part of the church. Uh, God is really establishing things. Uh, there's lots of miracles. Um, Peter and the apostles are going out and preaching uh, aggressively, um, particularly uh, in the temples. And the Sadducees aren't happy with this, and so they throw them in prison. Um, that night, an angel let them out, comes in, lets them out, and commands them to continue preaching the gospel. The very next morning, my, the way I read it, it seems to me, because it says at the break of dawn, that the second they could get into the temple to preach again, that's what they did. So let's pick up the rest of the story in verse 25. Someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. You gave strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. So 
it's a fairly solid example from Scripture. There are other ones um, where it's permissible to disobey the government. Peter is told to stop preaching the gospel, as, and he's already been jailed for doing so, and yet he continues to break the law as it contradicts what God has commanded him. So I've got an everyday example um, in our own lives. Excuse me for reading this next part from my notes word for word. For word. There's a certain sensitivity to this story, um, and I want to ensure that I don't say anything that will jeopardize any future gospel opportunities as the sermons are posted online. So many of you know Adam and Trish. They're missionaries. Um, so last week in preparation to this sermon, I phoned Adam to get his take on submission to authorities when they require us to disobey God. Uh, they were in a country that's not open to the gospel. Um, and he, here's what he said to me. He said, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 commands us to make disciples. So as mis- missionaries, they were fulfilling the Great Commission. And they moved to this other country and set up their lives to do so long term. They'd settled there. They'd been there for a few years. They were making headway with relationships as far as discipleship uh, and the Great Commission. Yet the law in the country where they were missionaries stated that they are not, the exact words were, not, to, not allowed to engage in proselytizing, which is to convert. So they had to decide whether to submit to God or to the government. Um, and they knew that there would be uh, consequences, dire consequences, imprisonment, etc. Um, if they chose to obey God. So after... They had to decide, right? And after being there for quite a number of years, and they had won a few people to Christ, um, just in a culture that was fairly resistive, they were charged with, um, somehow the government had figured this out, and they were charged with a religious activity that threatens national security. And within a couple days, they had to quickly pack up what they could and leave the country permanently for their safety. So that's an example of where... Today, um, and, and in this other country, obviously, it's, it's more in your face. Um, but Adam did suggest that he thinks that the way that things are going here, as far as the politically correctness and the liberality and that sort of thing, that there might be a day where that comes here too. So submission to God is primary over anyone or anything else. We can see this from, uh, from Adam and Trish and also from the story in Acts. So that leads us... To lesson three. As followers of Christ, we are exempt from obeying the government only when they require us to disobey God. So, here at Genesis House, we're committed to practical application of the word. Um, We seek to listen to what the word says um, and then go out and change how we do things based on the word. Um, so for that reason, uh, I've, I've come up with a couple practi- practical ways that we're submit, supposed to submit to the government today. So let's go back to our passage in Mark 12. So the context, I'm going to give you two ways that we can submit. There's many more. Uh, I'll leave those up to Andrew in a further sermon in the future. Um, but, but I'll give you two this morning. Um, 
the, the context in this passage of submission, is, of submission is in the area of paying taxes to the government. I'm not an accountant, so I can't speak to every single uh, financial uh, tax situation. And, I mean, there's many accountants out there that we can use to, to seek out in specific situations. However, it's certainly clear that Scripture says that we're to pay our taxes. Uh, as a general rule, if we make a financial profit on something, that profit is to be claimed as income. Some examples that I can think of one way or the other, and this, some of these actually came up in our discussion, um, which is what stimulated, at the, at the men's Bible study, which is what stimulated this sermon. Um, and, and it was actually asked of me, if we have a garage sale, do we claim that as income? Well, if you were to take the items that you uh, were selling at the garage sale, let's say you made $200 on that Saturday. Uh, if you were to look back and think where you purchased each of those items that you had for sale on your tables, chances are you paid retail for those items and you sold them most likely at 10 cents on the dollar, you know, if you're lucky, 50 cents on the dollar. So there really was no profit there. You bought an item, say a kitchen appliance, uh, a blender, uh, for $50 and you sold it for $5. There's no profit there, therefore you don't have to claim that as income. Uh, gifts, I'm fairly certain there's a limit. Uh, check this with your accountant, but um, gifts are not, you don't have to claim gifts as, you know, this Christmas is coming, there will be some envelopes, uh, probably from relatives that are, I know that our kids will likely get something like that. We don't have to claim gifts as income. Uh, selling items on a classified uh, website, uh, Facebook Marketplace or Kijiji, something maybe that you no longer use, uh, or a vehicle, perhaps, that's not income. Uh, I'm, I'll add, add a caveat to that in a sec. So you buy a vehicle, you use it for four years, you paid, say, $10,000, four or five years later, you decide you need to upgrade, you've had kids, got married, whatever it is. Um, there is so now you sell the vehicle again, you're likely getting 50 cents on the dollar, you're, you're going to get five grand for the vehicle you paid 10 grand for. No profit there, so you don't have to claim that. Um, however, for my, in my case, sometimes I'll purchase a motorcycle and uh, I'll do some work to it. I'll, I'll purchase a motorcycle for fairly cheap that's not running. I'll get it running, I'll fix it up, I'll, I'll do some cosmetic work to it, and then I'll sell it. So if I take away the price that I paid for the motorcycle and any materials, etc., then whatever's left over, whatever profit I made, that I have to claim. That would be considered income. So essentially it comes down to, if you think back to when you purchased whatever the item is and add up all the uh, numbers, um, whether something is a profit or a loss. Um, so it, it, there is always an element of honesty involved. When uh, I was a landlord, um, it would have been fairly easy for me to uh, hide some income from the government. We had some properties and one specific property had a garage that we actually rented separately to a woodworker uh, instead of renting to the tenants of the house. So that, and, and that fellow paid in cash. So the government doesn't know that I'm renting the garage separately, and so it would be very easy for me not to claim that extra income every month as a landlord. However, because I'm supposed to submit to God, that is an uh, item that needs to be claimed. So if we honestly trust God as a pro provider, Pardon me. We won't hesitate to obey him when it comes to paying our taxes 
as our trust isn't in our financial situation and our money and our assets, but our trust is rather in him. And we trust him when he says, pay your taxes because I've established the government. Another practical way that I thought of um, that we can submit to the government today is to show honor and respect for the governments and representatives um, and their representatives. So we'll go back to the Romans passage. We see two slides, Roger. Two. Okay. Thank you. Perfect. I'll go old school for you, Dave. Uh, verse three. Actually, let's do verse two. Consequently, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Uh, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And then we see, if we go to verse 7, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If respect, then respect. And honor, then honor. So, if we never disobey the government, we live freely. Rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. Many of you are thinking, well, that doesn't have to do with me. I, I obey the law. I'm not a criminal. I don't have any arrest warrants out for, for me. Uh, you know, we're, we're good. However, there is an example that I thought of in my own life where even though generally we're not criminals and there's no arrest warrants that I know of uh, for anybody in this congregation, um, it's in regards to the uh, Alberta Traffic Act. So as many of you know, I used to work on a ranch for quite a few years. And we're driving from one field to the other. We're going to drop somebody off at a piece of equipment, driving from the shop to the corrals. After a while, you don't wear your seatbelt because you're only going a short distance. And generally speaking, uh, you're traveling at a slower rate of speed. So I got into the habit of not wearing my seatbelt. Um, and it basically grew to the point where I was no longer wearing my seatbelt ever. Um, besides, I mean, it is more comfortable not to wear your seatbelt. So the problem is uh, where it says, rulers hold no terror for those who do right. Whenever I was driving, I was concerned with uh, police officers uh, and I would be on alert all the time. I'd be looking behind the bushes to see if there was a guy hiding with a radar gun. I'd be checking after I go under an overpass on the off ramp is there a cop hiding up there after I go under the overpass. And so I was always on alert, not, not relaxed. Um, I, I think that you can all relate to some degree. You know, you maybe at the stoplight, you pick up your phone and quickly check. You heard it ding. There's maybe a text message or something. And then all of a sudden, out of the corner of your eye, you see a police officer. So your heart rate kind of goes up and you get a little stressed out and you're like, oh, what if I get busted? Well, we're afraid of getting one of these. This specifically is a seatbelt one, right? I'm sure you all recognize them. I know I certainly do. So, eventually, um, 
in my life, I was like, okay, this is kind of ridiculous. I, I'm trying to drive relaxed and be more comfortable and drive the way that I want to because I think that there's freedom in that so I don't use my seatbelt. Maybe I push the speed limit. And I started to realize I'm getting tired of this, always looking over my shoulder and checking every corner for a police officer. So I started wearing my seatbelt and I started driving according to, at the best I could, I'm not perfect, according to the Alberta Traffic Act. And I found that I was far more relaxed and far more um, comfortable, ironically, driving this way. And I'll admit it is occasionally fun to drive aggressively. However, there is always that fear of terror. So this is an example of where, um, as believers, we can submit to the government uh, in, in, in two ways. So as with any area of disobedience, choosing not to submit to the government has the potential to lead us away from God if we allow it to become a pattern in our life. So more can be said, I'm sure that you guys in dialogue can think of some other areas where we can submit, um, maybe not as extreme. Um, however, uh, I look forward to hearing what you have to say in dialogue.